Let's talk about our, our series, and um, I just want to say Christmas is, uh, it's a mixed bag, this, this season. Once you begin Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas, it's a mixed bag of emotions because on the one hand, <clears throat> everything you see is happy. Uh, every movie you see is like, oh, it ends, and yay, Santa got his wings, or whatever happens, and, like, and, and, and it's just like happy, happy, happy. Every Instagram post, every Facebook post is like, look at my decorations, look at how awesome I am, look at the elf, look at what the elf did in our house. It's ridiculous, all the things that our elf did, and, and it's just so much happiness, but then when you talk to people, there's not as much happiness in the reel-to-reel, like the face-to-face. It's a mixed bag because there's this, there's this need and desire to fake joy and to fake happiness. And then there's this real season of, I miss some people. There's this real season of depression and darkness. There's, there's an entire subset of depression that only happens around the holidays. They call it seasonal onset disorder or something like that. Seasonal affective disorder because it's, the acronym is SAD. Well, well done uh, acronym naming people. They named it SAD. And, and just by, by merit of moving into the holidays and all the weight that comes with having to work up all the happiness and all the joy, there's a level of depression and anxiety that hits our community. And it doesn't help that you and I live in a community, we live in a culture, we live in a world that is just like plagued by hopelessness, plagued by just, you can't trust this. You're plagued by these are the things you should be mad at and these are the things that should overwhelm you. It's this constant overwhelming feeling and yet everything on the Hallmark Channel says, suck it up, buttercup. It's time to celebrate because there's you know, a ringing bell somewhere nearby. And I just, I wanna, I wanna take a step back uh, I want to do some Christmassy things. I want to have a lot of fun. I'm feeling, I'm feeling in the Christmas jolly mood, but I want to take a step back uh, with you, and I want to look at the Christmas story uh, in Scripture. Uh, and I don't mean the birth of Jesus. I want to rewind before that to where they started announcing the coming king. They started announcing what we would later be calling Christmas morning. They started announcing that God hasn't forgotten you, uh, God, God knows the pain and the struggles that his world is in, and he's sending a savior. I want to rewind back to those moments where they're wrestling with the tension, the tension that you and I uh, feel, or maybe our loved ones are feeling, that tension between, I'm told I should have reason to celebrate, but when I look in the mirror, I have nothing but pain and hurt and frustration, and I'm just going to fake it. I'm just going to fake it, and I, I, if I can just make it through the holidays, great. Once I get to January, the pressure is gone. And I'm just going to tell you, because of Jesus... You don't have to fake it. There's a real reason to hope. And so we're going to call this series because the word rejoices in like every Christmas song we're going to be singing uh, this time of year. It comes on TV, uh, TV, comes on the radio. I don't listen to my music on TV. Uh, Rejoice. And I just want to say that it is possible for a tired and weary world, the world that we find ourselves in, to actually rejoice. I did, uh, I did some nerdy things uh, because I like words, and so I put my nerd glasses on. Yes, let's look at the words. And the word rejoice is really weird because it never occurred to me. I didn't know what it meant. Uh, and, and I don't know if you do. Like, if, if you had to like, immediately think of a definition of rejoice, I, I kind of had some ideas. Like it's something about happy and it's something about celebrate. Um, but it turns out that rejoice is a compound word. The second part of that, the joyce, is joy. Okay, that makes sense. Joy, Christmas, happiness, joy. But then that re, you know this word, is like remember, recall, repeat. The idea of rejoicing biblically or etymologically rather uh, is, is to not just like muster up, manufacture joy in that moment, not even have joy about that moment. It's to remember, to recall back the season of your joy. I, w- I want to tell you, there was a time before the cross 
where the world was in darkness and it hurt and, and they didn't trust anybody and there was war and there was plague and there was pain, there was poverty, there was injustice and it was rampant and there was absolutely no reason for hope. And yet the prophets of the Old Testament says there is a reason hope because the coming savior will come. And they, they, could, they could remember, imagine that morning where, where it happens and they're like, here we go. I can, I can remember and go back to the moment where I remember the Lord being and find some joy. There was a song that kind of hit me uh, in the fields recently. Uh, it, it's Oh Holy Night. You probably know that song. I, can't, I won't sing it to you because I'm a terrible musician. Oh, see, like right then, Jason cringed. Uh, I, can't, I can't do it. But, but listen, listen to these lines and just think about, think about that feeling of relief that would have happened if, if, if you were there this day. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining, just laid there, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Here's what we celebrate as Christians. We celebrate not that there is no darkness, not that there ever, never was any darkness, not that there is not any current darkness, but that we point forward because Jesus is pointing us towards a new and glorious morning. We point forward because in him, our hope, our soul can awaken and rejoice and we can be alive again. We have, we have reason uh, to celebrate. So I want to uh, look at some Old Testament stuff. I want to turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is pretty close to the very center of the Bible. The prophets come after Psalms and Proverbs. So if you open, Psalms is like the biggest book, so you tend to open in Psalms, just go to the right a little bit. You'll find Isaiah pretty quick. Isaiah is pretty big. Isaiah uh, is, is a prophet. Uh, you, you probably know that. Old Testament, you, you know that. Uh, let me tell you the context of where he's living. Uh, Israel is uh, a country uh, that, that uh, you know about. Jerusalem is the capital of it. Uh, in, in its entirety, from its southern border all the way to its northern border, it's a very tall, skinny country. Like left or right, it's like 50 miles across. It's not very big, left or right. But north to south, it's about 300, 350 miles. So just because we're Texans, I'll give you some context. Uh, it, I, I live in Nederland. I used to live in Dallas. The drive from Nederland to Dallas is 300 miles. It's about the distance from the southern border to the northern border of Israel. The entire country isn't very big. It can fit all in East Texas. Okay, that's, that's the point. And, and what's happened is, is that a, a few hundred years before Isaiah, uh, there was some, some fighting, some conflict, and the kingdom broke in half. And then you had Israel broken into southern and northern. The northern, they kept the name Israel. The southern, they kept Judea, uh, the, the name Judea. And, and, and Jerusalem happened to be in the southern tip. About a hundred years before Isaiah writes this, something awful happened to all of their brothers and sisters in the north. Uh, Babylon comes in and they conquer the northern part of Israel and they take hostages. They take men, women, and children. They separate them. They break marriages. There, there's pillaging. Just, just think of the worst possible things that could happen if someone invades and takes all your people. That's what happens. These are, these are people that would be aunts and uncles to the people that are left in the south, but nobody invaded the south. Everybody left the south alone. And, and as, as, imagine, imagine if that happened to us. Like, we're, talking, we're not talking like someone invaded Canada and took it. It would be like us living here and someone invaded Lufkin and took them away. Your friends and family from, from you know, Hemp Hill or wherever, wherever we have people scattered just north of us just a little bit in Palestine and all that. Like As, uh, uh, Aspen, Is there, there's not an Aspen, Texas right there, something. Uh, anyhow, all, all of East Texas, just someone comes and takes them. And your aunts and your uncles, they're gone. We're not talking about faraway people. We're talking, this makes your newspaper, this makes your headlines, and it would create anxiety for you. And a hundred years has passed since that happened. 
And you just remember they invaded and they took over. A hundred years go by in the southern uh, part of Israel, Judea, the one that's still standing, the one where Isaiah finds himself in, for a hundred years, they have not been following the Lord. They, they've had people come to them and say, if you don't start following the Lord, judgment is going to happen. Just like it happened to the northern side, judgment's going to happen. And they ignored, they ignored it. And so Isaiah comes on the scene as a prophet, and he's now prophesying the most terrible news you can imagine. He's prophesying what just happened to our friends a hundred years ago in the north. It's coming to us now. The Assyrians are coming and they're going to invade us and they're going to do exactly to us what happened to our friends and our family just a little bit north of us and they're going to take us and, and the, the whole country is in meltdown. There is turmoil, there's arguing, the news reports have to be just in conflicting news. You can't trust Isaiah, you can't trust what the prophets say. You have other people saying, well, it's, it's this other country coming and, and they, nobody trusts anybody anymore and nobody's taking ownership of the problems. Maybe, maybe this starts to sound like uh, common uh, modern day problems, right? Nobody, nobody's taking ownership, nobody's trusting anybody and there's a lot of anger. And in writes Isaiah, one of the earliest beginnings of what we now call the Christmas story. He prophesies there's still reason for hope. So if you would uh, follow along with me, I'm going to be in chapter eight and I'm going to start in verse 11 and we'll read uh, probably about 20 verses or so. He says, for the Lord uh, spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon, upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Okay, that's kind of a normal thing for prophets to say. Don't walk in the way of the people. So the people are like jerk faces and they're mean to everybody and they're sinners. Don't walk in their way. But, but the, the prophecy is very specific about which parts of the ways to really watch out for. Because he goes on, he says, do not, verse 12, do not call conspiracy all the people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. He's saying, hey, when you're walking around Isaiah and and other followers of the Lord, when you're walking around in the community, you're going to be hearing conspiracies about who's really at fault here and what's really going on. He says, don't call conspiracy what they're calling conspiracy and don't fear the things that they're fearing. You don't need to be afraid of the things that you're being told to be afraid of. You don't need to be in dread. What a dark word. And And yet, as we enter the Christmas season, isn't it true that many people go into deep, dark places? They go into dread. Verse 13, he says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Focus on the Lord during this season where nobody else is. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. When someone says you should be afraid of this thing, you should be afraid of not the Assyrians, you should be afraid of the Babylons. Don't be afraid of any of them. Choose to trust in the Lord. Uh, We as Americans, when someone gets on the news and say, hey, there's this new uh, variant, this is what you really need to be afraid of. Don't be afraid of it. Be wise and make wise choices, but don't be afraid. Don't, don't let fear dictate you because why? Because the Lord is real. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is graceful. Choose, choose him instead. He said, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Verse 14, and he will become, what happens if we turn to the Lord instead? He will become a sanctuary. That's great. A sanctuary. We don't use that word much. We don't even call this room the sanctuary. It's kind of an older church thing to do, that the room that you gather into worship, you call it the sanctuary. That, that word means a place of refuge, a place of, of safety. The sanctuary is like the panic room. You ever see the movie Panic Room? Uh, invaders come into the house, and she's like, I got to run. And she happened to have built a vault in her closet. So she hits the button, she runs into the vault, she hits the button, and it closes down. It's now her sanctuary. Ain't nobody. The whole movie is her locked away in the vault, and nobody can get to her. The sanctuary is the place of safety. It's the place where the things that seem dangerous can't get to you. 
It's the place where all the, all the hurt and all the turmoil and all the noise that is just bearing down on your soul and on your spirit, it can't get to you anymore. And Isaiah is saying that if we turn to the Lord instead of what everything in our culture says to turn to, he becomes to us that place that we can find sanctuary and safety. And then to everybody else on the outside, he says, in a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, remember the north and the south we talked about, he says, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He says, that people, the people who are no longer following the Lord, they're going to see your safety, your refuge in the Lord. And, and it's like, they don't understand it. It's just a trap to them. So they, they back away from it. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. The prophecy is saying this. If you turn to the Lord in this terriblest, darkest time of our country, you're going to have safety and sanctuary. And there's going to be those on the outside who don't understand why you feel safe and why you feel that you have protection. Uh, and it becomes a stumbling block to them. So what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this, this prophecy, this promise? Here's what he says in verse 16. He says, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. You know, one of the questions that, that we want to wrestle with and if you're, if you're like a regular carpenter's way, we should wrestle with it in-house. But if you're new and you're just testing out, this is something to wrestle with in your family. This is something new to, to wrestle with as, as you go out. Is what, what seasons have you gone through with the Lord that, that you've, you've just forgotten about? You didn't bind it up. You didn't, you didn't remember it. Uh, and it just goes by. Because, because what I think is the source of your rejoicing will be when you remember that. I think that the source of your real joy, the source of your rejoicing in this season or whatever season you find yourself in will be when you remember that moment where your soul came alive for the first time confessing Jesus as Lord. I believe that the, 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 the source of your rejoicing will be when you remember that moment where you were praying for your marriage, you were praying for your kids, and it didn't seem like any chance at all that this was going to work out. And then it, and then it did. The Lord came through and you were rescued. That's going to be the season of your rejoicing. In, in the Old Testament, a lot of times when they had built an altar, I wish I had a rock with me right now. Not, not to throw at you, don't, I'm not violent. Uh, but but they, they, they would be doing something, uh, and, and the Lord would come through in a big way. So think, uh, think, think uh, crossing, crossing the Jordan, right? Uh, uh, they, they put the ark in the water in the Jordan part, or crossing the Red Sea even when, when Moses is leaving. Like the Lord came through in a big way. The first thing they always did after the Lord came through in a bigger way is they would stop what they were doing, they would go find some rocks, and they just start stacking them. And you end up with this like cool pile of rocks right there. And it, it had nothing, like no plaque or anything like that. And every time after that, someone would come through and like, why is there a weird pile of rocks right here? Like who, someone left the rocks and they're going to kick it. Some kid's going to kick it over. And so like, well, let me stop. Let me tell you what the Lord did right here. This is like, we, we were being chased by the Egyptians and we made it here because the Lord parted this and he made the path possible. And the Egyptians like, like, they just got flooded. You can go fishing for them right now. Catch the Pharaoh. <laughs> That'd be a fun little kid's game. Let's go catch the Pharaoh, everybody. That just popped in my head. But you would, see, you would see the rocks that was left behind and you would have to ask somebody the question. And when you would ask the question, they would remember a moment that the Lord came through. What, what Isaiah is saying right here is, the Lord is going to come through. And remember, this is Old Testament. For us, it's already, it's already happened. And he says, what I want you to do, I want you to bind up this testimony and I want you to seal it. I want you to teach it to everybody that happened, that, that comes forward. You know that those parents who, like there, there were some, some people who were pregnant as they crossed the, the Red Sea, that they had to tell their kids, like, you don't even know that you went through this, but this is what the Lord did right now. We, we need to be in the practice 
of somehow collecting the stories of the Lord coming through in our lives and sharing them with other people because that's where hope will be. That's where rejoicing will be. Verse 17, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. He, he's, Isaiah, he's like, I'm not gonna... I'm not going to watch the news and fear all the things that I'm supposed to fear. And I'm not going to think about the conspiracies that I'm supposed to think about. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And it looks like the Lord isn't here. It looks like he's hiding his face from my people. But I'm, I tell you what, my only hope is in him. And so I'm just going to sit and I'm going to wait. Maybe that's true of a lot of us in here. Like you're just so sick of the news and you're so sick of like people babbling their heads. You're so sick of the next mandate coming down and the next whatever coming down and all the different conspiracies. Oh my gosh, they're just, they're never ending conspiracies. And maybe, maybe it's time for us to just like, you know what? I'm gonna turn that noise down. I'm just gonna sit and wait. You don't have to have the answers. You just have to wait on the one who does, who is the Lord. Uh, Verse 18, he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me. That's, uh, I don't have time to explain this, but Isaiah had a bunch of kids and he named them different things to point to the prophecies of the Lord. And he says, I and the children uh, the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire, uh, and this is is what they're saying, like, here's, oh, you're scared. You need to do this. Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. I I, I have no idea what this looks like. I have no idea what, you go to the wizards and the magicians in town, the necromancers, and they chirp and mutter. I I don't know if they're on drugs. I don't know. But the, the point is, it's like people weren't turning to the Lord. They were turning to these other sources of info. And he said, should not a people inquire of their God? Should, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? I wonder how many of our, our people in, in, our, in our country, Christians in our country, would be wise to stop, you know, turning on the talking heads on TV to try to find information and just pause and go to the Lord and talk to him. Uh, you stop, stop, stop talking about people uh, around the water cooler and just stop and go to the Lord and say, I don't know how to fix this relationship. Can you help me out? I, I, think, I think we would be wise that people of the Lord would, would be wise to stop inquiring of other people that don't know anything and start to inquire of the Lord who is sovereign and gracious and knows all things. So verse 20, he says, he says, to the teaching, you remember that thing that he bound up, the, the, the prophecy, to the, to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Ugh, stinger. He roasted them right there. If they say, if someone says anything other than a hope in the Lord, it's because they have no dawn. That's what Isaiah says. They have no hope. They have no mourning. They're just living in darkness. They just want to bring you down into the darkness with them. You have anybody in your life that you're like, hey, it's a beautiful day. It's like, I don't see what's so beautiful about it. And they're just like, it, no matter what you say, like, hey, you know, isn't that a pretty red flower? I hate flowers. I love weeds. Like, Who loves weeds? Like, they, no matter how happy you are, they want to bring you down to their level of frustration and disgust. And Isaiah says, if they don't speak to the testimony of the Lord, they have no dawn. They have no morning. They're just living in darkness. And it's okay to know that. He says, they will pass, verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Yes, they will. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and against their God. Anybody speaking contemptuously against our our president and against our God? Anybody speaking contemptuously about people in leadership around us? And they just mutter and are frustrated. So they turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This, Jesse, this doesn't sound like a Christmas message. What? Thrust into deep darkness. Jingle bells. <laughs> you know, the, the, the prophecy that, that he, he's leaving us with here is pain is coming to their people. And history, as, as it turns out, proves that he was right. 
And he wrote this before it happened, but our, our history books outside of the Bible say Assyria did come down and conquer Judea, southern uh, end of Israel, and did take their people. Everything he said happened exactly the way that it is. But Isaiah, he doesn't just make prophecies to be like, hey, I've got really bad news, yay, and then leave because he has some inside scoop. He, he wants them to know how bad it's going to get so that whenever he tells them the hope that is to come, it has just as much weight. See, one of the things that we sometimes forget is that the same Bible that points to our sin points to our forgiveness. And sometimes we, wanna, we just want to take the parts of the Bible that just kind of fit our feelings in the moment. And when we're feeling down, we, we just look down on us. Or the other extreme, we're always looking at the good side and we never look at the bad side. But, but the gospel, the Christmas story, inserts itself in a world that is dark, is full of conspiracies, is full of people who are muttering and wandering around without any mourning in their soul, just wanting to bring you down to their darkness. What hope is there? Well, the very next verse, it happens to be a different chapter for some reason, the way that these chapter breaks are, but Isaiah didn't write these chapters because it starts with the word but. This is, uh, this is one of the big buts of scripture right here because uh, it went from a, a, a thrust into darkness, distress, gloom, and anguish, but yes, please, please bring me something other than what you just said, Isaiah. He says, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's the northern Israel. And he's saying, hey, remember the Lord brought them into contempt. And yeah, that did happen. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He's saying, he's saying it's, it's going to take a turn and it's going to be beautiful and there's going to be hope. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So you, you, you and I, we live knowing that Jesus is the light and he came into the dark world. That's what John says. And the darkness did not know him, but the darkness did not overcome him either. And that that light has burst forth and there is reason to hope. You and I know that because we're children of the light. We're children and followers of the Lord. Those of you in here who follow Jesus but you have friends and you have loved ones that they, they know nothing but darkness. And the promise is, is that a hope is coming where the people who have lived in a deep darkness on them has light shown. This is beautiful. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased this joy. They rejoice, there's that word, before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. He's saying it's like a big party is about to happen. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken it on the day of Midian. The Lord will come, Isaiah is saying, and he's going to break the staff and the rod that's been persecuting you. The, the, he's going to break the depression. He's going to break the anxiety. The Lord will come and he will heal these things. He'll keep going. He says, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. When the king comes, all of the people who are invading you, they, they have no more power left. All of the things that are invading your soul right now, invading your culture right now, America, it will have no power left when the king is here. For to us, verse six, beautiful Christmas prophecy. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the earliest Christmas prophecies came at the beginning, before one of the darkest moments in these people's lives. And he says there's hope because the wonderful counselor is coming. The Prince of Peace is coming. He's, he's coming. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the promise of uh, this king. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The fact is, is that it's the passion of God Almighty to rescue us from our darkness. It's the passion of God Almighty to equip those of us who are already followers of the Lord to go and pursue those who are living in darkness and are hopeless and just share with them the hope that we found in our Lord. The Christmas story is not a story of fake it till you make it. The Christmas story is an invasion story of the Lord invading the darkness of his creation and bringing light where there was no other way, no other source, no other hope that we would find other than by the name of Jesus would there ever be any hope. And he chose to come to you. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why you don't have to fake it. All we have to do is remember. We have to remember the things that the Lord has done. And that will be our source of joy. And that will be our sanctuary. I'm going to ask uh, the band if, if you'll, you'll join me. And, and while they're coming up, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 13 real quick. It's just about six verses. It's not much. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes people are really real in Scripture. And maybe, maybe this is you. Because, because David, the guy who wrote Psalm 13, he has a lot of ups and downs. He has seasons of his life where he's, he's a follower of the Lord. He loves God, but it really hurts. And it's really dark right now. And, and there's a lot of pain. And he writes sometimes his prayers down and they come out in these Psalms and, and they're prayers that are real and raw. And maybe, maybe you feel real and raw or maybe you know someone who does and they're just in a season of feeling real and raw right now. And I just ask you, have you ever felt like or do you know someone who feels like David in the Psalm uh, 13? It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? What an what a awful question. How long, are, you, are, you, do you just, are you just gonna leave me in this forever, God? Are you going to forget me in this forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long will this depression be over me? How long will that jerk just constantly have this power over me to, to ruin my day? How long, oh God, are you going to forget me? I don't, I don't see you anymore. I'm scared. And are you, is this it? Verse three, he says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He says, please light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Light up my eyes. I'm fading fast, God. I don't, I don't know if I can go another couple of days. Like, will you light up my eyes? Will you do this? But there's another big but in scripture. Verse five. It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Look, uh, look at the verbs there. Trusted, past tense. He remembers right now. I trusted in your steadfast love. That love is never going to fail me. I, tr- I remember right now, I trust in it. And now that he's trusting, he can rejoice. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I remember I trusted your steadfast love. Therefore, my heart right now can rejoice in your salvation. Verse six, so what do I do? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Six verses starting in the deepest pieces of depression. And by the end, I remember what you did, God. I'm going to rejoice in what you did. 
And I'm going to choose today to sing to you because you have dealt bountifully with me. Whether you feel like it or not, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you and you have a reason for your soul to rejoice. Yes, there's darkness. Yes, there's reason for despair. Yes, there's pain. Oh my gosh, there's pain everywhere I look. But there's still reason for joy because the Lord is good and he's dealt bountifully with you. He's given you your, 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 your safety, your family. And you can choose today to tell your soul, I will sing to the one whom is my sanctuary. Even if you're feeling the darkness, that was three verses before, because this is a choice that we can make when we remember what the Lord has done, we can rejoice in him. Let me pray. Father, Lord, right now I lift up, I lift up our people. I lift up those who are just going through it. I lift up, I lift up our people who are in, in, in darkness and in the hardest parts of their life facing, facing just the junk of it all. Lord, I pray for our people who are, who are just trying to fake it till they make it and just wishing that they would have just some, some glimmer of hope that, that they seem to be seeing all over Facebook and all over the Christmas lights everywhere. Lord, help us remember your goodness. Help us to recall the moments in our life that you dealt so bountifully with us. Help us, help us to find sanctuary in you because we're going to ignore all the reasons the world gives us to have frustration and depression and doubt. We're going to ignore those and we're going to choose to hope in you and your son because unto us a child was born and we're so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord. Lord, help her, help her soul to sing truth to you and then you find true hope and you find a sanctuary. Amen.